Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Ozbiz Live from our Brangaroo studios. You've tuned in to the call 10 stocks picked by you. I put those stocks to our two experts on the panel today on this Tuesday, the 24th of January. We do it in one hour. Let's welcome in our expert panel for the day, Scott Phillips and the Motley Fool. Scott, how are you? Koshi, g'day. Well, as always, mate. Thank you. Excellent. And Henry Jennings from Marcus today, almost unrecognisable in a tie, <laughs> looking very spiffy, obviously going for a job interview. So uh, how are you, Henry? You well? I'm good, thanks, Koshi. I just thought I'd start the year off uh, with a little bit of formality. Yes, as, uh, a bit of we class. A bit of class. <laughs> Just we I love you. In 2023, uh, it won't last. No, no, right. no. Well, I ne- never thought I'd use the word class and Henry Jennings in the one sentence. But anyhow, <laughs> no. we've broken new ground. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, let's get into it uh, because you two always have a lot of great stuff to say. Uh, first half hour uh, today on the call, we're going to be taking a look at New Hope, Deterra Royalties, Illumina, Michael Hill, the jewellery group and Bendigo and Adelaide Bank. An interesting mixture there, so it'll be a good discussion. Uh, stock of the day, I thought uh, I'd pick up, I think it's been a favourite of Henry for Henry's for quite some time. Karoon Energy, it is in our fantasy portfolio here on the call. Um, it's Boana, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it, field in Brazil. Uh, an update today, production 62% higher for the quarter, taking total production to 3.37 million barrels. Kroon says production benefited from the successful Buana uh, intervention campaign. The average net realised oil price 15% lower than in the prior quarter, in line with the decline in global oil prices. Um, Henry Kroon, I think is a bit of a favourite of yours in the oil sector, isn't it? What did you think of the update, production update? Uh, yes, Koshi, it is a favourite of mine. I'd have gone for a Bowner, to be Bowner. honest. Okay. But you're, but you're obviously far better travelled than I am in terms of South America. <laughs> Not at all. I'll I've, go with Bowner. I've never, I've never been to Brazil. This is your um, stock. <laughs> it is my stock. I, I followed this one for a long, long time yep. since they were a cash box, since they actually bought this asset, which is a, uh, a producing asset uh, from uh, Petronas in Brazil. Uh, a good update from the company, good reserve upgrade there and drilling to come as well. But the only problem I don't like about Karoon is the share price at the moment because it has tickled higher. This is sort of, it gets down to about $2.10 and to be honest there it is probably a screaming buy. If it ever gets back down there I'm going to plunge back in. But the issue I guess uh, is that it's hard to find mid-cap oil and gas companies of quality that are actually producers. This is a 1.3 sort of billion dollar company uh, with upside with drilling to come. It's got good oil revenue as well. It's got permits now. Things are starting to happen again. Uh, I think this one has got good upside, but as I say, it's popped a little bit, which is frustrating in some respects. $2.10 
$2.15 is a far better price to get set in this one. But the management has been good. It is quality. And uh, as I say, there's not many to choose from when you start yeah. casting an eye around in that sort of $1 to $2 billion price range for, uh, for market cap that have the quality that these guys have. One thing to bear in mind, though, with Karoon, and it's something that they have had to do over the years, is they do hedge some of their production. So they do hedge the price of some of their production, and that's certainly something they allude to. They do it through uh, a clever method, if you like. They do it through put and call options. They usually buy a, a put uh, to protect the downside on the oil price and sell a call against that to, uh, to pay for it effectively, which is, um, which is quite a, a common option strategy. But it does limit the upside to some extent on the oil price, but also it does limit the downside as well. So uh, they're, they're going to be revisiting that hedging strategy in the first quarter of the year. They do a sort of a, a, a right. look at how they're going to hedge things. But that is something to bear in mind. So when the oil price goes nuts, they may not be getting the full benefit of the nutness okay. of the oil price. Um, right. So that, that's some, something to bear in mind. That's a new technical term. Um, it is the nutness. Yeah, but so what are you saying? Are you saying I, sell at these levels and take a profit I, or... I, no, here they're a hold. Right. Two dollars ten to two dollars fifteen. They're a screaming buy. If they got the two fifty again, I think I'd probably be taking profits. But as right. I say, this is kind of a, a long-term stock for me. It has been very good. We did very well out of this buying right. around 65, 70 cents when they were just a cash box. When they were just a dream, a glimmer in, a, in an oil man's eye of buying the Brazilian assets. Right. Okay. Um, Scott, what do you think of Karun? Yeah, look, the, I mean, the production numbers out today were excellent. I guess probably largely expected by the market given the relatively muted share price response. So I guess we'll we'll take that as read. Uh, but also interesting idea, as uh, Henry said, and frankly, Henry is just a lot better than I do. He's also more comfortable with resources than I am. Koshi, our viewers will know very well that I tend to try to avoid businesses whose operational metrics are very, very hard to forecast. I don't try and play the oil price forecasting game. And so the question really, you control your operational costs you hope to maximize your volumes. And then you wake up every morning and not we're seeing the put and call strategy, as Henry said, and say, what price am I getting? Or what price can I hedge? Those are kind of the same conversations. Of course, the latter gives you much more certainty and much more ability to forecast that sort of short to medium term volume and therefore, sorry, value and therefore profit. But the next contract, the contract after that, both the price of that and the potential realized oil price remain very, very difficult to see. So look, I... I'm not a fan of resources stocks generally. You guys know that. Uh, it's not going to change today. For anyone who was hoping maybe finally I'd crack, uh, that day is not going to be today. Uh, I, I wouldn't own it because I just don't. I don't think I can forecast the, the future well enough uh, to own Karoon. So I don't. I don't think it's necessarily any worse than any others. And to Henry's point, in this space at that size, it's absolutely one of the, the better players. So if you're looking for something in this space of a similar size with that sort of upside potential, notwithstanding the lack of nutness, as Henry's put out, I'm yeah. writing that one down. Um, then I, you know, I think it's very, very worthwhile. If you've got to the point of saying either I think I can forecast the oil price or I can't, but I want to buy it anyway, um, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame anyone for doing so. But I, I wouldn't be okay. buying it. Um, probably a solid hold, mate. I, look, right. if I owned it, I, I would sell. If someone gave me the shares, I'd probably sell them and do something else. Right. Uh, but no, no clear rationale okay. for selling at this price. So let me ask you: Has your will against resource stocks been tested in the last twelve months? Because you look at the you look at the list of the top 20 performers on the yep. share market last year, they were all resource and energy stocks. Every single yeah, one they of were, them. Mate. 
Yeah, not only that, the, the energy sector was up by about 33, 34% yep. last year in a market that was down. I think the next best sector was up single digits and, yep. and tech was down by a third, for example. So yep. massive range of outcomes there. No is the answer uh, because I don't know what happens next. There are times when the oil price is great, times when it's bad. If people can play that game, I have no, no issue with them doing so. Um, I just look at that and go, I don't know, what's your price going to be tomorrow, next week, next year? Literally no idea, mate. So in that case, I'd really just rather say, you know what, I, I want to go and look for ideas for whom I have a greater degree of confidence or certainty. Uh, it's never absolute certainty, of course, in anything, but I just I just handicap my odds differently. So uh, honestly, I, you know, do, do I wish I'd got those returns? Absolutely. Um, but if you look back further than that, you see times when oil underperforms, energy underperforms. Um, that's just the way these things go. Right. And largely it is an oil price question. So look, war in Ukraine... Uh, limited supply, supply chain disruptions coming back or, or disruptions going away, supply chains coming back on stream. It was a very, very good time for energy stocks and good luck to everyone who owns them. Um, no no criticism, no no grief from me. Um, a little bit of envy maybe, but that's about all. Uh, I would right. like those returns. But no, okay. I, I, you know, so there, are, there are stocks that go up, mate. You look at it and go, either I didn't know it was going to go up or some cases, that's crazy that it's gone up that high. I'm not talking about Karun here, just in general. And you kind of go, do I wish I had those returns? Yes. Do I feel like I could have reasonably assess the chance of doing well in that sector at that point maybe um, but broadly sticking to my knitting okay. is a better strategy over the long term all right let's go to our next stock then which to wants to look at new hope the big coal mining cash generating massive sweet spot at the moment mm. huge ingrowth thing whitehaven coal was the best performer last year followed by new hope on the on the on the market what do you think of new hope now, under your sort of philosophy, <laughs> you'd sell it yep. at these levels, wouldn't you? Yep. Yeah, in fact, and, I, and I'm not so sure that other people shouldn't sell them either. Separate to my philosophy, Koshi, because if you think yep. about the cyclicality of some of these things, <laughs> and you say, we're at record coal prices, and you've got to take, you know, if you're, if you're framing a market, let's pretend you're a bookmaker for a second, and someone says, right, given what we've seen for the coal price itself over the last 12, 24 months, what do you reckon the odds are, given these are cyclical commodities, generally speaking, with exception, I'll get to that, what are the odds the price goes higher from here? The coal price goes higher from here. Yeah. And you've got, and frankly, the market actually agrees with me in this case because New Hope is trading on a 3.9 times multiple, right? So right. four times earnings. You make your money back in four years. That is crazy if you get all of those earnings. A couple of things. Firstly, last year's profits earnings here $1.07 a share. Fantastic. The year before, 10 cents a share. So there's a 10x range in 12 months. Now, mm. I'm not saying, again, this is the thing, I don't, you don't have to know that it's not going to stay at this level. You just have to say, I don't know, but what are the odds that record coal prices are sustained for, the, for an extended period of time? In my view, not particularly good just because supply and demand does supply and demand stuff. Yeah. Now, a couple of things. Firstly, there is a very good argument to say, given the geopolitics and frankly, just the, the retail politics around, given the climate change challenges, it may well be that very, very few coal mines get approved. If that limits supply, then that's going to keep prices high. So that's yep. one very reasonable view. The other is, given these, it's a, uh, I've got the yield here, but it's a you know, really good yield. Um, given that, if they just took that cash and, and used that money wisely, you could also make an absolute squid. If you hope, take that cash and say, you know what, we have some to shareholders, but we'll do other things to improve our business in the process, then that also is a really, really good use of that. Maybe one-off, might be for a while, maybe not, windfall profit. So you say, okay, well, that, that might come next. Uh, that being said, mate, exactly to that point, isn't it more likely the price is lower rather than higher in two years' time? Yes, I think it is. I'm a long-term investor. I'm not going to try and guess short-term price movements. So I simply say, I don't know, but it doesn't look particularly cheap. Now, I will talk out of both sides of my mouth here, Koshi. Um, I own shares in Washington, H. Sol Pattinson, as your right. viewers well know, and you certainly yep. know. 
they own a very large chunk of New Hope Coal. So I'm indirectly a shareholder in this business. It is, in my view, the best coal mine out there, the best managed business, um, the most thoughtfully run capital uh, preserving business. I really like the way they're doing it. So if you want exposure to coal, New Hope would absolutely be first with a bullet for mine. Whitehaven did better largely because it was a more risky proposition. It wasn't miles away from bankruptcy not that many years ago. So, um, you know, New Hope, I think, is the very best in the block. I own it indirectly. To your point, if I owned it now, would I sell it? Yeah, I really would, mate, because I think the odds of, and not because I know it can't go any higher, but if you if you frame that market and say probability of a higher coal price in a year's time, probably pretty low. Maybe it's a little bit higher. Probability of being lower, very good. Okay, so if you're getting maximum price or near maximum price, that's a very good time with any yep. commodity uh, to say, you know what, maybe, maybe now's the time to take some money off the table. So yes, yep. if I owned it outright, I would sell it. Frankly, if Sol Pat sold their stake, I'd be very happy. Uh, but I'm holding Sol Pat's regardless because right. I trust management of both Sol Pat's and of New Hope. Okay. Henry, uh, and and you're also, I notice you're getting all this external stuff now, politicians going, oh, you've got to keep a certain percentage in reserve for local. Uh, let's put a cap on coal pri- prices that are sold to our uh, generating plants. Um, mm-hmm. That starts to worry me a bit. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess strategic assets, uh, politicians do tend to get involved, especially when we've got uh, yep. a gas crisis or a gas shortage on, on the East Coast. The thing that concerns me, I guess, going back to, uh, to Scotty's point on resources, is this is the only sector in the market that I know of that publishes the prices they get for their commodities on their product, their widgets, every single day. <laughs> Not only that, you can actually hedge the price you get for your widgets every single day. Yeah. That's what commodity markets are there for. That's why they were yeah. created. So producers and speculators can make informed decisions, I guess, or you can call it bets or whatever you want to call it on the price of those commodities. Now, I don't know too many other companies that publish the price list of their things every day. Mm. And, you know, I know Scotty is a big fan of industrials, but I don't know what Brambles is shipping its pallets around the world for on a pallet basis every day. How much are they getting for their their shipping of those? How much are um, Boral getting for their products? You could go through the price list of plasterboards, but that would be quite a big process. You know, Australia is a commodity-based economy. You can't get away from it. Our index is massively resource-skewed. We have the world's biggest mining company, the massively successful BHP, which has been on an absolute tear this Mm. year. So if if you're going to avoid 35% of the market plus and not be exposed to commodities, I think you're doing yourself a disfavour. Having said that, they are cyclical. And certainly coal is one of those cyclical ones. And Scott is right in terms of the fact that coal is such a dirty word. You remember the days when Scott Morrison used to come into Parliament holding a lump of coal? Yep. Do you think, do you think Anthony Albanese would do that? Do you no. think um, Albo would come into the House and say, yeah, I've got, I've got a piece no. of coal in my time that will guarantee peace um, with a Neville Chamberlain kind of moment? It's... It's unthinkable, and it's unthinkable, I guess, in, in, in the modern 21st century when we're grasping to greenify and electrify the world with lithium, etc., uh, that coal mines are going to be imp- approved en masse. It's just not going to happen. And as a result, that is going to keep prices elevated. Having said all that, New Hope has run pretty hard 
it has got a lot of nutness about it. Um, it has got a big fat <laughs> dividend yield as well. There yep. are some people suggesting, you know, we could get 20, 25 percent fully frank dividend out of New Hope because they just have, like Whitehaven, they have so much cash. Yep. Uh, there's only so much buyback you can do. There's no, eventually, you know, unless they buy something big or diversify outside. Uh, then, you know, what are they going to do with this cash? They're going to return it to shareholders. So that is going to be a big attraction. Uh, and it's been a big attraction for BHP, Rio and Fortescue. All these resource stocks have been very disciplined with where they splash the cash in this boom. And be under no illusions, we are in the middle, yet again, of another resource and commodity boom. And if you haven't got exposure to that, then you are left with 60% of the market say, right. which is 25% of which is banks. Yep. So now you're down to 30 odd percent. So you're going to be scratching around for uh, for growth uh, in some of the- uh, So the what, do you, what do you do with New Hope? I th well, I've got to say after the runs that Whitehaven, New Hope and the whole sector have, I think if, it, if I had them and I haven't, unfortunately, I'd be taking some profits. I wouldn't be selling all of them, yep. but I would be taking some profits because it is a cyclical business. Yep. And we have seen the way the market cycles through the resources. It, you know, lithium was hot to trot and then it's not. And then we get copper that's hot to trot and then it's not. And we get uranium. And at the moment, yep. and 2022 was oil and gas and energy generally, coal, assets. Okay. I think 23 is a different year. I think I would be taking profits here. Okay. All right. Um, uh, Serena wants a view on uh, another uh, resource stock, but basically a resource stock that's only made up of accountants who cash a check uh, every month. The <laughs> uh, Terra Royalties, it's a royalty business, gets the royalty from, uh, from BHP's mining area C. Uh, it's iron ore mining. Uh, probably everyone says Fortescue is the purest iron ore play, but this would be up there with it, Henry. Um, uh, this is re this really is a barometer of where iron ore prices go, is it? up or down? Uh, well, this is really a, a derivative function of BHP, as you say, flank C. Uh, they basically just get a royalty stream. It's been yep. floated off. Um, it's it's. I guess it's kind of a safe way to play the iron ore price. Having said that, you know, from September, it's rallied from four bucks up to $4.80. So it's not doing too badly. Um, it's a two and a half billion dollar company, uh, but it is just a royalty stream. It is a, yep. probably a far safer way to play the iron ore price. But, you know, it is a derivative of BHP. Where BHP goes, this little sheep will follow. And uh, that is the nature of the beast that there's not, um, you know, you're not going to get any growth. Right. The management, as you say, just it's a bit like the one we're going to discuss in a minute. The yep. management just sit there. So would the you checks. rather BHP than this? Oh, Koshy, every day of the okay. week. All right. Um, you know, BHP's got growth. It's got diversity. It's got, you know, serious, yep. um, you know, serious commodities. It's not just exposed to iron ore. It's got the copper, yep. various other things as well as pushing into nickel, of course. So I'd much rather own BHP okay. than Deterra, but Deterra is just a function, a derivative of BHP and okay. iron ore. Scott? Yeah, it's a fascinating one. Henry's done a great job of explaining the business and its, its pros and cons. This is literally an income stream as a proportion of revenue. And so to, to, to Henry's point, where the iron ore price goes, so goes Deterra. Um, it, it reminds me of bank hybrids a little bit. 
because you don't get the upside of, as Henry says, BHP's business improvement, for example. If there's a bit more volume, you, you make money on that. If there's a higher price, you make more money on that. But you're not really getting a lot of value, the, the bottom line profitability. You know, it's like investing in just the first, you know, the first line of BHP's PL and saying, you know, the, the revenue line is all I'm going to get a share of. Now, that can be great or it can be terrible, but it limits your upside. Here's, here's why I think it's like the bank hybrids. When you buy one of those bank hybrid securities, the income notes, you get a capped upside, but you get downside if the business ends up struggling. So you don't, you know, you kind of get almost the worst of both worlds in a cent. Now, there is a higher yield, so you get something for it, but that's the deal you're making. Deterra is kind of the same thing. If we get the iron ore price take off, um, that's going to be fantastic for Deterra shareholders because they're, they're, they're literally, or unit holders, they're literally getting a direct, um, you know, proportional interest in that higher revenue. If revenue falls, yep. they're going to wear that. Now, that makes it much less volatile than BHP itself because they can control the, you know, we're getting a share of profit. If they control costs better, as prices go up, in theory, profit goes up faster than price. It goes down, it goes down faster. So to, to Henry's point, it's why it's a safer way of playing it. The, the price, believe it or not, is less volatile than the, the iron ore operations profits themselves. But you don't get the diversification. You don't get the growth. As an income idea, it's fascinating. I really like it. I think if, if you wanted an income portfolio and you wanted some resources exposure, as Henry was talking about before, it's not a terrible way to do it. Um, but you just got to know what you're getting. It's a very narrow tram track response. As, as we said, but the share price will still move around because the iron ore price moves around but you're not getting the same volatility on either the up or the downside as BHP. Um, it, I see no reason not to buy it. If you like the 6.8% yield, it's pretty bloody good. So if you, if, you want, if you want a really nice income stream, which is resources related, I see no reason not to buy it. I don't think it's going to beat the market for the reasons I've just talked about over the long term, so I wouldn't buy it. But if you're looking for something different, if you're looking for income, it's a nice way to diversify okay. away from the usual suspect. So... Um, uh, I, I wouldn't sell it if I owned it either because it's good enough to keep, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but if you're looking to beat the market, don't buy it. If you want some income, buy it. If you own it already, I guess you're holding it because it's, yep. it's not stonkingly great value, but nor is it worth selling. <laughs> okay. Similar uh, area, Scott, <laughs> Wilbur wants of you on Illumina. And it's yeah. a similar thing. It, it really it, is. It makes its return out of its 40% stake um, in Alcoa. Yeah, the investment bankers aren't bad, are they? They find ways to slice and dice these things to uh, try and generate some value. Uh, give it, give it. I don't know, based on Tadassos and Tabcorp and based yeah. on BHP yeah. and others, give, give, them, give them a couple of years and they'll be putting this thing back together again. But at least for now, it's mm. a separate entity. And as you say, it's, it's basically just a derivative, a derivative business. Uh, Illuma, Illumina, the, the commodity, is its major exposure, of course, and that is going to drive the meaningful changes in the share price to the extent it changes. Um, it, here's the challenge right now. It's trading at 29 times the reported earnings. Now, again, you've got to be a little bit careful because of that derivative ownership, a 4.6% dividend yield, which is not terrible. Um, but neither of those numbers really strike me as particularly attractive. Uh, if you've got a particularly bullish view, again, we get back to the commodity conversation that we started with. If you've got a particularly bullish view on Illumina or Alcoa, I guess you might take a different view. I don't. Um, so that I have a, a bullish view. I don't have necessarily a bearish view either. It goes into that. Who knows where we are in a year's time basket? Um, so for me, uh, you know, 29 times earnings is way too expensive. 4.6%, yep. okay. Um, maybe the top quartile maybe of income stocks. So I guess you could be excused for having a look at it. But if I owned it, mate, I'd, I'd sell it and put my money somewhere else. Okay. Henry? I'm, I'm, I agree with Scott on this one, I have to say. The, the fourth quarter earnings weren't particularly brilliant. What I always find quite extraordinary with this one, because it does own 40% of that uh, AWAC uh, Portland, uh, mm. <laughs> the whole thing with their, um, with their interest there, is that the management 
of that 40% interest, which they have no real say in, gets paid an extraordinary amount of money for basically taking the cash from Alcoa huh. and passing it on to shareholders of Illumina. Right. I looked at the annual report. The annual report for 2022, I couldn't find online yet. Um, they haven't. They haven't fessed up to it. But the annual report for um, 2020, they got paid 3.1 million dollars uh, uh, between uh, what's it? Four guys. What? Uh, and uh, in 2021, they got paid 3.17 million dollars between four guys. Just for sitting on <laughs> a bunch of Just shares. Just for passing on the shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is. Uh, you think money laundering is uh, is lucrative? These guys have, have got it down to a fine art. Jeez. I have to say, it's um, it's always bugged me that this this company basically has no say. It's just got that forty percent interest. Right. They don't really do much That's except bank the check, um, and they take an awful lot of money out of this. You know, if you if you got rid of those four guys, you could add another three and a bit million bucks back to the profit number for uh, for Illumina. Right. Um, so. I'm sure they do more than that because there's obviously corporate governance to do and, you know, there's lunches and there's entertaining analysts, etc. So there's, there's clearly more that they do to, to earn their 3.1 million between the four of them. But for me, this, you know, this is That's a, a derivative without the, yeah, no. Okay. It's, the Terra is a far better derivative of BHP mm-hmm. than Illumina is a derivative of okay. Alcoa. It's high energy input as well. They've also got some issues yep. with uh, in WA in terms of environmental, and they're pushing back some of the uh, production to uh, to make themselves look a little more friendly to the locals. Okay, all right. Say. Not uh, for me. Okay, Kerry wants to view Henry on Michael Hill, the uh, the big jewellery business through Australia, New Zealand, and Canada, based in Brisbane. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a tricky one, isn't it? Discretionary spending writ large, um, etc. You know, we've got an economy that's slowing. Uh, The results recently have been relatively good, uh, I have to say, and have defied the sceptics, as we've seen with JB Hi-Fi and, of course, Super Cheap as well, both defying sceptics. And you would think this one uh, would kind of struggle as we get a little tighter in the economy. But they had the trading update only a few days ago, double-digit sales growth continued EBIT growth. Um, so it's they've got a strong balance sheet. It's it's not horrible. It's not massively exciting. It's also not the most widely traded of stocks either. Uh, it's probably a hold, but, you know, to be honest, yeah. um, I'm probably not the right person to talk to about jewellery. Okay. <laughs> but, so, Scott? But, uh, hold. Yep. Scott, what do you think? Because we do have lots of great retail stocks here in mm-hmm. Australia, don't we? Yeah, we really do, mate. And I, I will. I think Henry set it up beautifully because if you think about the way this, as there's a, the, the general consensus is that the last few months were great, and January will bring with it has brought with it in theory, hopefully maybe a bit of belt tightening. <clears throat> it's what the RBA, excuse me, have been trying to achieve for months. Maybe possibly it's finally here. And so this is always the challenge with any company. Uh, we've talked a lot about commodities so far, but with any company, looking forward and saying, hey, how, how, how likely is it that the past is indicative of the future? If that past can be sustained, to Henry's point, really strong trading update. This is trading on 10.5 times earnings of 6.6% dividend yield. If you believe those numbers can be sustained, this is not maybe not the buy of the century, but it's not far off it. Because if they can literally sustain this level of earnings and some growth, 
pay you 6.6%, which I assume is largely frank, I haven't checked. Um, you know, they don't come much better than this sort of scenario, but that's because there's a massive asterisk of if it can be sustained. We've seen Super Retail, we've seen JB Hi-Fi, plenty of others besides have come out and said, look how great we've been going. And the real question is, what comes next? DJs was a really good example. They had very strong second half, second calendar half sales growth, but their Christmas period was only up 2.3%. What does that suggest? It suggests a slowing of sales growth. And of course, we're still in that weird three-year period where we're looking back at a comp on the previous year, which was still COVID affected. And so trying to get a really clear line through these things is incredibly, incredibly difficult. When we've been analyzing retail stocks recently at The Fool, we've actually been looking at the 2019 earnings because that was the last financial year, believe it or not, where we had clean, non-COVID impacted sales and profit. Huh. And so you've got to go back four financial years to try and get a, a reasonable baseline and then say, what do we reckon might have happened since then and or you know, to try and get a baseline? And then what can that grow at in the future? So it's a really, really difficult, where the analysts like us earn our stripes, frankly, because if we get it right, we get it right. But um, it's, it's more complex, in, particularly in retail, which is normally a pretty pedestrian category, generally speaking, as a, as a total sector. Lots of puts and takes and plenty of businesses coming and going. But you can normally put a pretty clean line through this one. Really hard right now. So, uh, Michael, I think, it's, I think it's reasonably inexpensive right now. I think we'll find the sales growth is not sustainable. I think we may well find that profits stagnate, maybe even fall slightly. So you probably should adjust the PE for that. Um, I, maybe the dividend even falls because simply you've got to pay that out of profits, right? So I wouldn't bank either the PE or the dividend yield and say, this is, this is good enough for the future. That being said, I don't, think it's, I don't think it's that expensive. Even if profits fall by 20%, you're on a PE of 12 or 13. Uh, you know, you're not asking much. If the dividend falls by 20%, you're back down dividend yield of what, 5.5%, something like that. You know, these aren't difficult numbers to get behind as an investor if you want to buy an inexpensive business and make some money. I don't think though Michael Hill is one of the better retailers out there. You made the point, Koshi, as you crossed to me, that we have so, so many great retailers out there. If I was going to buy a retail stock, Michael Hill might be on the third line. Um, you know, there's a, there's a half a dozen absolute stonkers. There's another half a dozen pretty good doing well, pretty cheap right now. Um, Michael is not a bad business. It just, it just doesn't qualify. It hasn't grown yeah. well enough over time, it hasn't got the brand presence, it hasn't got the sustainability or, or potential. They've had some corporate issues, they've kind of right-sized the business in air quotes in the past. So no, look, I, I wouldn't sell it, mate, if I owned it at this price, I really wouldn't. Um, I think it's too cheap to sell, but it's also not oh, high enough dear. quality to buy and certainly not in the context of the other businesses that are available. So uh, a capital H, solid hold, I think, right okay. through the middle. All right. Uh, next up, uh, before we get on next up, I, I was stunned, Henry, uh, with the director's fees for Illumina, four directors yep. sharing in $3.9 million. I thought, I'll just go to the, uh, the Terror <laughs> Annual Report. Um, <laughs> their four directors share 448000 including superannuation. That's more well, like exactly it. Correct. Just shows yep. you. It's a really good point mm-hmm. on Illumina, that corporate governance area. Um, our fifth stock um, is Bendigo and Adelaide Banks. Scott, second tier in the banking sector. It is Koshi, but and, and one of the one of the more I'll say pedestrian, but I actually mean that as a positive in this case. Uh, banks, if you look at their earnings profile of the last ten years, it has been really, really, really solid. Given what we've been through, given what's happened in the economy, all that kind of stuff, um, this has been a, a pretty impressive looking financials chart. Now, I want to say impressive looking again. It's not gonna, it's not growing strongly, so I don't mean impressive as in gee, it's blowing the doors off things and it's you know grabbing market share, it's doing wonderfully well. I just mean if you're looking for a safe, solid, pretty plain vanilla, largely regionally based bank, 
it's very hard to go past Bendigo and Adelaide. Right. Uh, at the moment, they're trading mm-hmm. on, a, on a P of 12.2 times, a dividend yield of 5.5% fully franked. Compare that to some of the other bigger banks on, on some are lower, some are higher PE-wise. Commonwealth Bank still remains, to my mind, woefully overpriced. Uh, it's, a, it's a high-quality bank. It's the best bank in the country. But, man, your PE you're paying is, is getting close to double some of the other banks, which I just don't think is sustainable. Um, but there are, I think, some of the big banks might be a little bit less than Bendigo. So you're kind of you're right down the middle. I really like Bendigo, mate. If you, again, I don't own any banks personally. Uh, we have Bendigo in one of our income portfolios. It's a very, very small position. So we already have it. I, I like it a lot. I think it's a really good... It's just, it's just one of those meat and potatoes banks. And yep. there was a time when, when the retail bank, the local corner bank, just did lending and took deposits and kept costs down and did its thing. Um, and Bendigo does exactly that in spades. I, it's okay. in an income portfolio, as I said. I don't think it beats the market from here. I don't think it's got the growth profile to beat the market over the long term. So I'm not going to buy it to, to beat the market. If I was putting an income portfolio together, I would own Bendigo outright. Um, I like it better than the, the big four generally because it's just a more plain vanilla, understandable bank. Um, it's in a good position in the market i think it's got meaningful long-term just you know moderate growth and so again i'm not going to beat the market with it but 5.5 percent fully frank is very very nice many viewers will have many of if not all the big four banks in probably overweight positions uh i would i would prefer bendigo Hmm. generally and certainly if i own those big four i'd be selling some down and buying some bendigo to even things up a bit okay henry Gee, Scotty, I'm, I'm wondering if you ever do buy any Australian shares. If you don't own any banks and don't own any resources, that pretty much covers 60% of the market. It does indeed, mate. Look it at. does indeed. It, it must make your job really easy to just to look at 40% of the market because out of the 40%, oh, the problem, the problem is like most of the companies are in the rest. Most of those companies are in the rest. That's the problem. The, the big, the big, I think it's what the, the top dozen or so. ASX make up about 56, 57% of the market. So uh, yeah. you're right, you're right in percentages, but there's still a heap to look at, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Easier yeah. otherwise. I know there is. I look at them all. Um, now, exactly. um, back in September 1939, uh, Britain declared that they were in a state of war with Germany. And for those of us that have long memories or have watched something on the History Channel recently, um, you will realise <laughs> that nothing actually happened pretty much till May 1940. It was called the Phony War. It was only in May 1940 when the Germans strolled into Paris uh, that things really got serious. And then, of course, in September 1940, we had the Blitz. Now, it was known, as I said, as the Phony War. Now, here we have the Reserve Bank, which has declared war on inflation. And so far, to some extent, we have had a phony war as well. The economy hasn't really suffered. What is it, 3.5% unemployment? Yep. I mean, come on. Are we really heading towards a recession with 3.5% unemployment? And still, every shop you go past has got a sign that says staff wanted. Or even some now say uh, they've got a great one on some of the places I've seen recently is, please forgive us, we haven't got any staff. Hmm. Um, We're desperate for staff and uh, bear with us and be patient. So, you know, we have got a phony war as far as the economy goes. And the banks are at the forefront of this phony war. Now, I'm not suggesting the blitz is going to come in September 40. And we're going to see the blitz here. But certainly there is 2023 is going to be an interesting year in terms of that that cliff when all those fixed rate mortgages that we've been told about start to run off and people do start to suffer. This goes to the heart of what we're talking about, I guess, in Michael Hall Jewelers. But it also goes to the heart of what the banks have been going through because they have had a pretty darn good time recently because they've been able to raise mortgage rates. But they have been a little bit slack and a little bit slow, shall we say, in raising deposit rates. So as a result, that net interest margin 
has been pretty nice for the banks, which is why Commonwealth Bank's at an all-time high. The banks are doing extraordinarily well. Bendigo's rallied off $7.70 to 10 bucks, and everything in the garden is rosy. My concern is 2023, we may see the economy slow, bad debts rise, people in a little bit more financial hardship. Um, the dividend yield is fantastic, and it obviously is a big bonus, but you know, okay. the 10-year ten, the ten yield's not bad either. Um, I would probably be taking some profits in Bendigo up here. Yep. I think region, I prefer big banks to regionals, I must admit, because I think okay. they have the clout for IT. All right. Let's recap the uh, first five stocks. Stock of the day, solid hold on Karoon. If it drops to $2.10, Henry would be buying, but not at these prices. New Hope, sell from uh, Scott, take profits from Henry. Uh, Deterra, Henry prefers BHP. Uh, Scott um, says, look, look at Deterra. If you want income, and it's part of an income portfolio, 6.8% yield. Otherwise, uh, use your money better elsewhere. Illumina, a sell from both. Michael Hill, a hold. Uh, Bendigo uh, and Adelaide Bank, um, yes, only in an income portfolio from, uh, from Scott and take profits from Henry. Uh, here at the call, we've been tracking our own uh, fantasy portfolio. Um, you can, as chosen by our investment committee, the last committee meeting, uh, you can see osbiz.com. They didn't have one in January. One's coming up in February. In the uh, December meeting, uh, they took profits on Babcor and Domino's, uh, bought Index and Janison Education, increased the weight of elders. Uh, since the 1st of March last year, the you know, fantasy portfolio up 13.5%. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Uh, this half hour we're indeed going to talk about elders. Uh, Seven West Media, ASX, Australian Clinical Labs and Ampol. We'll need to uh, be a bit quicker this half hour gents. A very subtle uh, cracking of the whip. Um, Henry, Henry, Roger wants a view on elders, the, the big food conglomerate. Um, took a dive on a retirement of a new chief executive. Everyone thought it would bounce back. It hasn't. It's just still around 10 bucks. I know. Good opportunity, isn't it, Koshi? Uh, I think the rural sector is still going well. This is a buy. The stock cracked and just went cratered after Mark Allison uh, said that he was going to be retiring, uh, not till the end of 2023. And so I suspect, given the legacy that he would like to leave, the appointment will be internal, I have to say. I'm not sure they're going to shake things up. They've had an eight-year plan. They're at the end of that eight-year plan. It's done well. Ag sector doing well. This is a buy. Again, Australia, resources, agriculture. What's not to like? Where mm. else are you going to get exposure? A buy. Scott? Yep, I'm going to be a, a unity ticket with Henry. I think it's absolutely a buy. 10.7 times earnings is too cheap for this one. Yes, it deserved to probably drop a little bit, given how well the previous CEO had done. 
Um, this was a turnaround that absolutely turned. You know, Buffett's line that turnarounds seldom turn. This is one that did. They've done a remarkable job. You need to be a little bit careful of the agricultural boom, to Henry's point. I agree with him. I think it's ongoing for a while yet, if and when it does turn. Be mindful if you're a long-term shareholder that you're buying at a price you're happy to hold at during that period of time if you're going to keep holding. Um, earnings will be volatile. They will be. Yeah. Between volumes and prices, of agricultural commodities, you're going to see just meaningful changes. But, yep, has been a buy for us for a long time. Our members got mm. the upside on that turnaround. Uh, when it was a little bit higher, we did think about going back to hold or maybe even selling, but it's dropped back again. So, yep, absolutely a buy. Why hasn't it bounced back? I think it's a question of what the market's expecting. Mate, we talked a lot about cyclical businesses today, which is great. Um, and the agricultural boom, we've seen, you know, we've seen coal miners at four times earnings, right? Uh, agricultural companies at 10 times earnings probably indicates the same sort of thing. The right. market is half okay. worrying about what the future might look like. And frankly, just the, the CEO thing, you know, how, how good is the new guy or girl? What will that do to the business? What will they do to the share price? How much upside is left? And how much premium did we have in the share price because of the turnaround job and the quality of that CEO? Right. Um, it is a difficult one for, for businesses to try and deal with when, it, when a, not exactly a superstar CEO in the public eye, but a person who's done a really fantastic job. When they leave, it is a very real question of can the next person do as good a job? Um, to my mind, it makes a little bit of sense for that to be simply a less certain and therefore lower priced opportunity. But I, I think it's an attractive price. Yeah. Now. Okay. Um, Scott, uh, Willie wants a view on Seven West Media, the uh, the television free to air streaming. What do you think mm -hmm. of Seven West? This is a really challenging one, Koshi. I have a suspicion that Seven will be a meaningful outperformer from here because it's currently sitting at 3.8%. Oh, sorry, 3.8 times earnings. Um, a lot has to go wrong at the earnings line for that not to make some money. If earnings halved from here, it'd go to 7.6 times earnings. You yeah. know, it, it is literally, the market is either simply lacking any confidence at all or is expecting the good times simply can't last and the future must be meaningfully worse than the present. In fact, if you did the, if you did a discount of cash flow on this and said, what would I have to assume for this price to be a fair price? You have to assume a long and sustained decline in profitability from here. I think we know that free-to-air television is under some structural challenges. Uh, we know streaming is making up some of that. We know there are some business model pressures. Those things are all very real. And I think we shouldn't exclude the chance that the market is absolutely right about this one. There could well be sustained lower profits from here. But I've got to say, on a probabilistic basis, if I could buy a basket of 10 you know, different businesses trading on a P under four, including, by the way, some of those coal mines and other things, I reckon I'd do pretty well. Mm. Um, so statistically, I think this is a good bet. Now, that being said, am I saying to people, this is one of the companies I have sufficient confidence for you to go and buy? Then the answer is no. And so this is where, as, a, as an analyst, as a portfolio manager, as a financial advisor, you've got two different things going on. You know, probabilistically, as a, as a portion of a fund, do I think it'll earn money you know, net net from here, probabilistically, yes, absolutely. Do I think it's probably going to be market beating? Yeah. Am I so sure that I'm saying to people, hey, one of your 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 stocks, this should be one of them. I have a sufficient confidence this is right. the one that's going to do well. That's a really hard one to answer, mate. So I'm going to put it down as a buy only on the basis of that probabilistic assessment. But I really do want our viewers to be very careful because this could get worse before it gets better. It could get worse and stay worse. Um, okay. As I said, probabilistically, if you gave me a dozen of these, I'd snap up the basket and I have a very high confidence I'd do well. Seven may be leading the vanguard. It may be the laggard or probably somewhere in between. So a uh, massive, massive caveat on this one. But I think just statistically, probabilistically, yeah, I think that's right. Okay. Henry? 
I'm going to be short and sweet on this, otherwise it's going to be a two-hour Scott Phillips show. Um, <laughs> oh, says, says Professor Jennings, taking us back to the Blitz right. and the phony war. Give me a I'm break. Just at, I'm just looking at Thanks, the time. And Thanks, mate. I'm, I'm looking at the time. Absolutely. This is a hold, mainly because they've got such quality presenters, especially on the <laughs> 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 the, the, the other thing I guess they've got going for them is if the economy does slow, people will turn off the likes of Stan and various other things and may go back to free-to-air, which could right. uh, counter some of the uh, the advertisers uh, slowing in their spend. But, uh, yeah, a hold for me. <laughs> right. The interesting thing about free-to-air, of course, and, and, and the big sellers for free-to-air is sports rights, mm-hmm. and yeah. they're paying less for yeah. free-to-air sport because... The streaming services want them, but the siphoning rules mean you've got to have a free-to-air partner. So the cricket yeah. deal that was just done by Seven, they're paying less than they did five years ago for the for the uh, for the rights, and and really are paying less for AFL rights as well. Uh, it's being picked up by streaming. Um, next stock, um, James wants a view, Henry, on the ASX. The um, the organisation that, that runs the, the stock market. What do you yeah. think? Um, well, there was others that would say there's other organisations that run the stock market, especially maybe Spectre or someone like that with conspiracy <laughs> theories everywhere. But the ASX definitely is, is the platform for the stock market. Yes. Um, it's not a very uh, good platform mm. either, and they've got um, you know the global... Uh, guys uh, munching at their heels. It was called Chiax. I can't remember what it's called yeah, at the Cibo. moment. SIBO. Uh, SIBO or whatever it is. Um, so these guys didn't cover themselves in glory with the chess replacement and the whole blockchain thing. Bit of a disaster, frankly. Uh, if we do see the market and the economy send uh, signals to the uh, to the market that things are slowing down, we will see more um, more of a slowdown in the IPO stream. And that is where these guys really make their money. Volumes are not the thing they're going for. It is IPOs and those sorts of things, new listings. Uh, from an international basis, it does look expensive. Um, there has always been some, uh, some, uh, I guess, suggestions that maybe someone will have a look at it, and they have in the past, but I don't think that's going to happen. It is an expensive exchange, and it does face problems. It's probably a hold, nothing too dramatic downside, but nothing too dramatic upside either. Okay. Scott, ASX? Yeah, it's fallen a long way, by the way. I'm just looking at some numbers now. November 2021, it was a $93 share price, now down to 69 bucks. So yeah. uh, it, it's, had, it's had quite a bit of value wiped off it. And despite that, it's still trading at 29, 26 times earnings. I completely agree with Henry. Uh, there is, there's been no meaningful growth either, by the way. I think the market's paying way too much uh, for this business. Um, earnings have been really flat for a very long time, which is fine if you're paying 13 times earnings, when you're paying 26 times earnings. Um, I, I don't know how you make money from, from this price, quite honestly. In the short term, maybe it's volatile, of course, but over the long term, I don't see how it beats the market. Actually, no, I, was, I said I was with Henry. I was with Henry in terms of the, uh, the assessment, but I'm going to go with a different recommendation. I'm going to say it's a sell. Uh, doesn't mean the price can't go back up, but, but there's no fundamental justification in my mind for a 25-plus PE for a business that's hardly growing. I think earnings today are the same as they were in 2017 or so, uh, maybe a little bit more than that. But, right. uh, yeah, not, not, not enough okay. growth there to justify a 20-plus PE. Uh, Scott Stanley wants a view on Australian Clinical Labs, the uh, mm. big pathology group services 90 private and public hospitals, made a mozza during COVID. 
They did, and this is part of the challenge of valuing this business. I was going to go back to 1901 and give you a history lesson, but uh, the professor's covered that already. <laughs> for the for Spanish us, so flu. I'll keep this on. I'll keep this on. Maybe exactly. 1919. There you go. Yeah, exactly. I've put this on short and sweet. Um, They're a relatively new business. They did spectacularly well during COVID. And those who bid the share price up did so on the hope, belief, guess, estimate, whatever, that they were going to continue to have high volumes of testing. I think we know now that that has gone away. Will there be more pandemics? Yes, unfortunately. Will there be more need for testing? Yes. Uh, but the current level of earnings doesn't justify the current price, I don't think. Now, that sounds tough because the P is six. So you say, well, not much has to happen. And you're absolutely right. But the growth in that profit over that period of time was simply just, it was astonishingly good. Um, I don't know that this is a business you can necessarily uh, be convinced has a long-term story. 40 cents a share earnings in 2021, 92 cents in 2022. If it goes back to that, then all of a sudden the PE is now you know closer to 14 times earnings, which is not extraordinarily expensive, but for a brand new business with an unproven growth story, uh, I just I don't have enough conviction in the story, and it's not cheap enough to, to speculate on. So, no, uh, I would probably sell it if I owned it. If you wanted to hang yeah. on to it, maybe because you believe in the long term story, I guess I probably couldn't tell you it was a terrible idea. Uh, but I, yeah, this this was this was a hot stock for all the reasons we know. Those reasons have gone away. I don't think it's a buy. Yeah. I would sell if I owned it. Okay, Henry, it was the perfect time. To float a company like this, wasn't it? You know, <laughs> yeah. once in a hundred year pandemic. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I learned a new uh, an acronym as well when I was doing some research. This one, BAU, which oh. I hadn't heard of. What Business as usual. Oh, okay. There you go. Educational, mm-hmm. this program. Um, <laughs> History, I've got to say, History of the Second World War, <laughs> Spanish flu, and a new anachronism. What more can a man ask for in this program? Let's face it. Um, I've got to say, when you cast your eye across the healthcare, healthcare space in Australia, we seem to have so many pathology labs. Mm, yeah. um, mm-hmm. There must be some consolidation in the industry. Every man and his dog seems to have started a pathology lab and floated it. Um, these guys, no exception. It has had a a bit of a cyber issue as well, which they uh, updated the market on back in December. We haven't had anything since then. Um, I I guess for me, this this is not that exciting, except for potentially corporate appeal in terms of some sort of consolidation and and kind of rationalizing Mm -hmm. the the industry, because there is so many everywhere you look. You know, there is uh, Sonic Healthcare. There's all these guys out there. Um, that are in pathology, it must be a very lucrative business. You know, revenue is up 48% to nearly a billion dollars. So, you know, clearly we're all getting tested for everything under the sun. Um, for me, this is a hold purely on that corporate appeal, but you could be waiting a long time. But, um, you know, it's come down a long way from $5.70 odd to 3 bucks. It has come down a mighty long way. Um, yep. Maybe we've seen the worst of it, but BAU, business as usual. It's hard to work it out. <laughs> what is usual? What is yeah. you know, mm. what, what's what's mm. normal and what isn't now? So yeah. it's it's a hold, but only because of the corporate appeal of maybe yeah. some sort of consolidation in the sector. All right, and our fi- final stock, Clifton wants a view, Henry, on Ampol, the old uh, Caltech service stations, but but also not only a, a retailer of fuel, but um, they've got their own refinery in Brisbane, had one in Sydney at Kurnell, but closed that. Yeah, um, I think it's the only refinery left, isn't it? The Lytton refinery. Um, we just had a trading update from these guys. The stock's been marching upwards. 
broker upgrades, uh, good dividend yield, 100% franked. Uh, it has been sort of toiling around the low levels, and I think it is back, back, baby. I don't mm. know if we're going to get huge amounts of upside. There's probably 10% upside towards 35 bucks, and it's made a big bounce off 27 to $30. So um, it's a hold. The yield is attractive, and uh, with higher oil prices, maybe that's going to help their refiner margins as well. So uh, for me, this is a hold, dividend yep. yield alone, uh, and probably 10% upside over the next year. Yeah, and Scott, the uh, the government is coming and helping refiners too, um, aren't they? It's also a refinery in Geelong. I've forgotten who who owns that one. Yeah, Viva. Yeah, Viva. Viva yeah. That's right. So the the government seen as a strategic asset. These oil refineries, they're benefiting. Yeah, they are. Uh, well, I'll step away from the policy one. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure the government need to be throwing money at these guys. If you own the shares, you're probably pretty happy that they are. Um, we'll probably leave that one far enough alone. I, I agree with Henry on, on Ampol, by the way. It's 10-odd times earnings, it's a 4.8% dividend yield from memory. Uh, that's that's perfectly fine. I think, as you said, the share price has recovered nicely, so maybe the... I, actually, I, I don't think maybe. I think definitely the, the, the easy money's gone there. Maybe there's a bit of upside left, maybe there's not. The earnings are the same per share as they were in 2017, um, which also tells you that I don't know. They've made a, a massive amount of strides. Now, again, in between there, it's a thing called COVID, right? So take that yeah. as, as read, but... We're back on the roads. We have been now for, for most of the last 12 months. Um, so, look, I, I, I struggled to see a massive opportunity for, for Ampol from here. It's it's a fine business. It'll do okay. The yield is is nice. Uh, again, in a diversified income portfolio, I say regularly, most people have got way too much of their money in banks, the big four banks in particular. If you're looking for some alternatives for income, Ampol's great. I don't see how it beats the market from here because, again, you've got to get profit growth to deliver something like that. The market's going to grow over time. It, nine-ish percent, maybe 10% per annum over the long term. Uh, where does where does Ampol get its profit growth from to add to the dividend to give you that sort of return over that long period of time? I don't think it's obviously evident. And if it does, maybe it just gets there, in which case the risk is still on the downside. So uh, no, it, it can't be a buy for me. I wouldn't sell it either. It's cheap enough. The dividend yield is good. Um, it has a, a pretty good place in the Australian market, both in the refining and the retail business, and as, yep. as Henry said, there may be some upside in the refining margins, but probably not massive upside. So it's fine. If you own it, great. If you want it for income, great. I don't think it's going to beat the market. So let's okay. put that down as a hold as well. Hold. Okay. Let's recap the uh, final five stocks. Elders, a yes from both Scott and Henry. Seven West Media, a hold from Henry, a speculative buy from Scott. A question without notice, Scott, would you buy Seven Group Holdings instead following your new hope? Uh, Sol Pat's mm. theory because Seven Group Holdings has 40% of Seven West, but then you get Boral, West Track, that sort of stuff in it? That's a really good question, mate. I think if you wanted the pure upside, Seven, ironically, Seven West looks like a better buy. Right. Okay. Uh, seven, seven Group has, has more diversification, less downside risk for sure, but less of the upside from what right. is obviously a cheap price for Seven West. So probably okay. depends on investor sentiment. I think I'd go Seven West. Okay. Uh, ASX, a sell from Scott, a hold from uh, Henry. Uh, same with Australian Clinical, sell from Scott, hold from Henry. And Ampol, a hold from both. Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool, great to have you aboard. Uh, fascinating hour. Henry Jennings, exactly the same. So uh, <laughs> enjoy your lunch. It looks as though it's going to be flashed with the tie on. So that's great. All right, guys. Always a fun time. Thanks, Thank guys. Thank you. Good to see you. See Thanks, guys. Uh, that's it uh, for us for today. If you want um, any of your stocks, 
um, put to the expert panel by me, put them in an email, the call at osbiz.com today or tweet us using the at TV handle. Coming up next, Nadine with small caps. Don't go away, a lot of Osbiz through the rest of the day. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.